question in my mind is if you trusted the universe, if you trusted God, how would you act or think today? And if you did not trust the universe, if you did not trust God, how would you think or act today? The obvious truth that I always talk about is that we have a human mind. We have this ego inside our mind that is designed to keep us safe. It's supposed to worry and concoct all these scenarios to try to protect us. Its function is to keep us safe, but it's out of line almost all of the time. (laughs) So our ego is constantly in fear and it's constantly in worry. And we all have an ego. We all have a human mind. If we're alive, we have one. And so it's continuously, constantly, every second, every minute, scanning for fear. It's concocting a worry so that it could protect you from this future event that hasn't happened, but it could happen. This is what it does. And we have to become aware of it in order to override it. If you aren't aware of your mind and when it's fear spiraling and worrying and worrying, if you're not aware of it, you don't even have the opportunity to override it and then choose trust or peace. So awareness, obviously, is everything. But in every moment or every decision we make or every choice we make in our day-to-day life, we have two options. We can make a decision from trust, our trust in the universe, or we can make a decision out of fear because we are afraid of what might happen and we are trying to prevent our worst case scenario. So we only have two options. Even when we react or act or speak or make decisions, it's always out of trust or fear. And when we are choosing something out of fear, we are using our ego. And that's not bad. I am not here to say this is good and this is bad. I'm saying if you don't want to live a fearful life like me, this is something that is my priority. I hold myself to a standard of not living my life in fear. And obviously I could not do it 100% because I have a human mind. But something I value so intensely is not living my life in fear. So what that requires of me is checking myself constantly. Is this decision out of fear or is this out of more trust? Is this decision out of fear or is this out of trust? Making a decision out of true trust in God or trust in the universe is how would you think or act If you knew everything would be all right, everything would be okay, everything would be perfect in the end, or say you're in turmoil over this very specific situation, what choice would you make if you knew for certain that that situation turned out perfect? Like not perfect, but well, like if you look back to all of your hardest life circumstances, you did it. You survived and you probably got stronger and more courageous and you grew from these hard situations. Everything turned out well. Everything turned out all right. 
I can say that for my life, the most disgusting, hardest things I've been through, I made it. I did it. And so if you knew, because everything does pan out well, all right, all is well, all is always working for our highest benefit. Everything is always working for the highest potential of every single soul that is involved in a situation. So if you knew that to your core, if you knew everything was panning out in the highest potential for everyone, how would you act and think? It's probably wildly different than you would normally act or think. So one very small life example of whether I was making a decision out of fear or trust is recently. So I'm very obsessed with blood sugar and glucose and insulin and I'm not diabetic, but I learned that cortisol and insulin are these top tier, this tier one hormones that then cascade down and affect your sex hormones and your thyroid hormones. And so if you are eating food that is dramatically spiking your blood sugar and over time your, blood, your body responds less and less to this blood sugar spike and so your blood sugar is constantly always elevated and so you know corn potato chips you know really starchy carbs sugars increase blood sugar so if you're constantly spiking your blood sugar day in and day out every meal three meals a day boom spike 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 that Cortisol and insulin is affecting your sex hormones and your thyroid hormones. So learning this information has totally changed me. And I'm very obsessed with eating for my blood sugar so that I have stable blood sugar throughout the day. Because obviously, if you're having these high spikes, you're going to be crashing. You're going to have constant fatigue. That's just the tip of the tip of the iceberg. But for months now all I talk about is blood sugar and when I have a friend who has a continuous glucose monitor I ask them questions all the time I'm just very obsessed with this topic and so I'm just like Leah just order one so it's a glu- it's a continuous glucose monitor and it goes into your arm it's this little fiber that's in your arm and it's measuring the blood sugar or the, your, the glucose in your cells It's not measuring the blood glucose, but it's this little device that's measuring your glucose in your body after you eat a meal, after you exercise, after you sleep. So I was like, Leah, just order one. You want it? Order one. So I did. And after I ordered one, I started started worrying and I started going into fear. And I was like, oh my God, but this thing is this thing in my arm. It talks to my iPhone and that's technology and I am so uncomfortable with that. And I knew that going into it, but I was having these, this fear spiral start. And then I was starting to think, oh my gosh, what if I got pregnant while having this thing in my arm? And then what would happen? And I was witnessing myself think all these thoughts and all these worries and all these fears. And I caught myself and I was like, Leah, if you cancel this order, and if you don't do this continuous glucose monitor, you are choosing that out of fear. 
fear of the fiber in your arm talking to the phone fear of getting pregnant while having the thing in your arm that's out of fear so if you were making the decision out of trust what would you choose and obviously it would be to do it because i fully believe the universe has my back and all is well all will always be well but i wanted to tap into my intuition for another just for like a more solid answer although i knew what the answer was i knew how to act out of trust but when i was channeling my intuition during a writing one morning i asked it should i do the continuous glucose monitor and it said yes now is the time but not in two months and so i was like yep there's my answer i got it and that was a huge moment for me even though it's a very small little moment of you know this little glucose monitor but i just ca- i caught myself almost backtracking and canceling the order out of fear out of fear of what it would be do to my body fear of what if i got pregnant and i do not believe in living my life in fear so I have to constantly check myself. I have to constantly be assessing my thoughts and what's going on in the minute-to-minute basis, which is presence. There's also this quote by Matt Kahn that I love so much. It says, if you had nothing to fear and nothing to lose, how would you act and what would you choose? When you can really answer these questions you know the actual truth of how you want to act what choices you want to make how you live your life like if you had no fear well how would you act and how would you choose that doesn't mean it's going to be easy but answering those questions gives you clarity radical clarity on how maybe tomorrow you can be better in this one area. But when you start really looking at yourself and your day-to-day interactions and everything, when you have this level of deep self-awareness where you can witness yourself and your thoughts and the words you're speaking in every second, you're simply just witnessing yourself be a human, you're witnessing your thoughts, you're witnessing your fears. And there becomes basically less lag time to when you think or act or say something and your remorse or, oh, I shouldn't have said that or done that. So you say something and it might have taken many minutes to realize, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But with self-awareness, eventually you get to the point where you don't even say the thing anymore because it's sitting there in your head and you're watching the thought be locked and loaded and you can zip your lips and you could shut your mouth because you saw what you're going to say. You're witnessing your mind in action and then you stop saying the thing years ago you you would have said just because you didn't have the awareness at all. So I do believe awareness and it's presence, it's being present with your thoughts, it's being present 
in conversations, in interactions with your child, with your, with your partner, with the store clerk. Presence is witnessing yourself, your humanness, your thoughts, your words in action. And then with, with awareness, you can, you can stop the mean words. And a lot of times you don't want to stop the mean words because the mean words give you some level of gratification because the ego seeks revenge if it gets hurt. It just wants to say a nasty word to get revenge. But when you have real, real self-awareness, you can watch the nasty words get locked and loaded in your head and you don't pull the trigger anymore. You just zip your lips. That's, that's, I'm not saying that's going to happen to you overnight, but I'm saying through practice and practice and practice and practice, that eventually happens. And when, when you experience that for the first time, it's amazing. It's worth, it's all worth it. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'll give an example. So on my Instagram stories, This week, I talked about the knee-jerk, conditioned things we say in our society that we don't even we don't even think about until we witness and we are self-aware of what we think and talk and how we communicate with strangers. So, knee-jerk reactions and responses and phrases in our society are like when a child falls down and you say, "You're okay, you're okay." I do that to my cat. I, I say you're okay, and I, or maybe I maybe I don't anymore because I'm very aware of when I'm saying it or when I want to. But that's an example of the things we say and we don't even know we're saying them. That's not having awareness. That's just a knee jerk, boom, words out your mouth. You didn't even have, you didn't even think about what you're saying. That's when you don't have self awareness. That's when you're not conscious, and that's okay. That's okay. If you don't want to be aware, if you don't want to be conscious, then don't be aware. But if you actually want to be, the act of presence is watching those knee-jerk reactions form in your brain and you usually don't let them out of your mouth. So some examples are when someone has a new baby and you say, oh, is he a good baby? N- no. He robbed a bank last week. He's not a good baby. (laughs) Like some of these are so stupid. Another one. So I was a wedding photographer. And when I was with a bride and groom in public, I would hear people across the street say, run. Or you still have time. Things like that. Like, do they know what they're doing? This this, these people are so happy to be married. (laughs) This is the happiest day of their life for them. And your knee-jerk phrase is run because insist- and these people mean well. These people, I truly believe they mean well. They're just trying to be cheeky. But one knee-jerk reaction that also we do with children is every time we judge them doing something a little risky, which may not even be risky, but it's just our perception of what's risky, is we say, be careful, be careful, be careful, or knee-jerk, no, 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 to a toddler, you know, like an 18-month-old that is in the brain development stage of touching, exploring, licking everything, knee-jerk is no, no, don't touch that, stop that, stop, 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 no, 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 it's a knee-jerk, 
So I don't know. Why not just create a environment where they can actually touch and lick as much stuff as they want? A lot of us create these perfect homes where kids aren't safe in this environment, but then you're saying no all day. Imagine, imagine being told no and don't 60 times a day. How would that feel? Imagine it. For a second, imagine it and put yourself in their shoes. Another knee-jerk phrase that I do, because some every day my energy is different, and when I'm at the grocery store with the clerk, sometimes I'm super chatty, and other times I'm not at all. And so when I'm not chatty at all, and they say, how are you today? I just say, good. That's the knee-jerk reaction. I'm good. Even though, like, you could have be having the shittiest day of your whole life, but I'm good. That's an unconscious, not aware, knee-jerk, words out of your mouth. So then when you become present in the, in the moment, you are self-aware of your thoughts. You pause before you are about to say good, and you say something else. So I just talked about those knee-jerk phrases that we're all programmed. Like our brain is literally programmed to say these things. Like when a kid is crying, you're okay, you're okay. Even though they're not okay. They're not okay. Like it's relearning what, what's actually appropriate to say. Oh, that really hurt. Oh, that fall was a big fall and that really hurt. That's just validating their emotions and saying you're okay when they're clearly not. Oh, so these knee-jerk phrases are just phrases we say without any consciousness, without any awareness. But when you start becoming aware, you can identify the voice of your ego, which is the voice of fear. And then you can truly and clearly see how fear clouds almost all of our daily thoughts, actions, and decisions. Almost all of them. And I'm not being dramatic right now. Romantic relationships and parenthood are the two key life events in which the ego really, really, really tries to have control and to have the reins because it's so afraid. Because the ego is always afraid. But what would the ego be afraid of in romantic relationships? That one's probably an easy one. (laughs) It's afraid of so many things. It's afraid of... It's the fear of betrayal. It's all about being hurt and feeling pain, by the way. So the ego is afraid because the ego just wants to protect us. And so it's afraid of many things. It's afraid of betrayal, abandonment, being left, rejection. It's afraid of losing emotional connection. It's afraid of losing love. So then how do these fears, like the fear of betrayal, how does that show up in the romantic relationship? Often it shows up as intense jealousy because you don't trust your partner. It could show up as going through your partner's phone in secret because you have this fear of betrayal and so you are kind of seeking evidence for the betrayal. That's kind of what the ego, the ego always wants to be proven right, kind of. So if you have this insane fear of betrayal where, you know, you've probably been cheated or hurt 
really, really bad in the past, you might secretly go through your partner's phone trying to find evidence that they will betray you. Or the fear of rejection might show up as the one partner really highly criticizing or trying to change another partner. So if you constantly nag, criticize, put down your partner, you might be rejecting them unconsciously so that they don't reject you. You reject them first. You, you criticize them first because you are trying to prevent the rejection from happening. But a lot of times, if you treat your partner that bad, it's going to lead to the thing you fear. That's what's very interesting is... If you highly control your partner for the fear of abandonment, you control your partner so intensely so they don't leave you, it usually ends up in the very fear that you're trying to prevent. Some people's ego fears show up in unconsciously creating conflict or turmoil out of nothing, out of thin air. Like things are going really well in the relationship and... You know, there hasn't been a fight recently. And so they, they literally unconsciously seek a fight or they seek conflict to then create turmoil. That can sometimes be called self-sabotage where the ego is trying to sabotage a good thing to kind of prevent you from future pain, but... Self-sabotage ends up in pain anyways. You know, none of this really makes sense, but it's what the ego does. So other ways that the, that the ego fears in a romantic relationship is one partner might fully withdraw from another partner and they might just completely numb out. And then they might use porn, alcohol, drugs, food to cope with maybe unwanted deep feelings. So partners might uh, withdraw and really numb out because they're afraid that XYZ will happen. And so a lot of these are just unhealthy coping mechanisms to our deep, deep fears. Most fights, most fights are about the deep fears we fear will happen, that our partner will reject us or cheat on us or leave us that one day they will just withdraw their love from us that's usually if you can decode fights that's usually the root of almost all fights is you are afraid and so this is how the ego shows up in romantic relationships and it's constant it's every single day We interact in some way with our partner that will probably trigger a fear in our ego or we will act in a fearful way. One example is just the body language that our partner does. If they are a little more numbed out or shut down than normal, there's a warning signal that goes off in our body. Our brain, our ego says, warning, 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 something's off. Like you're going to lose emotional love and emotional connection right now because your partner is being withdrawn that means they're going to withdraw their love and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and then the partner's going to the partnership's going to fall apart 
that's the cascade of what happens sometimes when your partner is a little more quiet or shut down than normal is we go into hyper overdrive and we're like what's wrong what's wrong oh my gosh this is wrong this is wrong and then we a lot of times act out of our fear we might criticize that they didn't take the trash out because we're just trying to get a reaction out of them we're trying to wake them up because they've shut down so when we nag or criticize that they didn't take the trash out that's us actually acting from our deep deep rooted fear of losing that love or losing that emotional connection and this is the dance between two people that happens on sometimes a daily basis but for sure weekly basis and most of this happens without our, our knowledge or awareness whatsoever. Because if you're unaware that your brain is blinking a red huge warning sign when your partner is quiet, you then don't know how you unconsciously react to that. And then you react to it out of fear. So this is how fear usually rules our romantic relationships and next i'm going to talk about parenthood because in this society it is almost all done in fear (laughs) it is you will see with what i have to say okay what are some of the fears in parenthood you are afraid of not having control over your child right they're defiant they say no 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 and that irritates you and that drives you crazy. So afraid of not being in control. You may be afraid of being judged as an incompetent parent. You may be afraid that your child is being negatively judged, that you're being judged or your child is being judged. You're afraid of being an imperfect parent. You might be fearful that your child will not live up to your dreams and expectations of them. Like you dreamt of this child that would succeed at this or that and they don't live up to it. And their one, their one C in school then triggers your fear of them not succeeding and then you push it down their throat. That school is so important, but it's stemming from your fear of them not being successful. So you could be, in parenthood, it's very common to be afraid that your child will not outgrow their bad behavior. Or you might be afraid of your child's big, uncomfortable emotions, their tantrums. You might be afraid that your child will be the troubled child at school. You might be afraid your child will be teased and bullied. You might be afraid that your child's going to get hurt you know, a million times a day because they're climbing everywhere and you're afraid they're going to get hurt or you're afraid that their little cough is going to turn into something even bigger, that their cough is maybe cancer. Like parenthood is soaked in fear because we have an ego and our ego's job is trying to protect us from future hurt. And you have this small child And there's this huge big world and you know all the ways your child can get hurt. And so you are deeply afraid. And I'm not saying that's that's not normal. It's very normal. But we all have the ego and we all have fear and we all have worry. But if you want to not be that fearful, if you want to be more relaxed, there are things you can do. Just like in a romantic 
relationship, if you want to be more relaxed and more loving and more trusting, there's things you can do. And that's what we're going to talk about in a little bit. But first, the fear in parenthood. There's a million fears of parents. Of course, you're afraid of your child being judged, of you being judged, of your child not, you know, succeeding in life or living up to even just a base level dream. But these fears manifest in a very specific way in your parenting. If you are rooted in so much fear, they show up in your parenting. How do they show up? You may control your kid so intensely. You may be a helicopter parent. You might control your child and and what they say, what they do, how they act, so that they can become maybe the child that you envisioned. Or you punish and shame your child so constantly until they display the behavior you need them to show, to make you happy, to make you not fearful anymore. You know, if they just stop that bad behavior, then your fear will disappear. But we all know, like, you could just deal with your fear first and not involve your child because they're just pointing and showing you what needs to be healed and looked at within you. Other ways fear shows up in parenthood is that you may never apologize to your child because your ego always needs to feel right. Your ego always needs to feel superior and right and you do no wrong and you give this perfection image to your child so you never apologize to them. So you're never really, you know, you never show them your flaws. That hey, mom made a mistake. She shouldn't have said those words. And when you can apologize to your child, you teach them how to apologize. You're just modeling the behavior that you want your child to display. I'm talking like this is easy. It's not, obviously. But I'm just trying to spell out how fear shows up in parenthood and how the ego has the reins in parenthood. Because the ego is so afraid and it always needs control. The ego needs control to feel safe. The ego needs to be right. It always needs to be right. It cannot be wrong. But then you're parenting a child with an ego. So then it's the battle of the egos. It's your child wants control because they have an ego. They want control because control feels good. Control feels good. Being right feels good. That's why the ego does these things. But you have an ego and your child has an ego. And then it's the battle of the egos. It's who's going to get the control today. So then your fear of your child not fulfilling your dreams you envisioned for them or not being successful, um, it might show up in you forcing your child to go to a certain school or forcing your child to play a very specific sport or instrument. And then the fear of your child not fulfilling the dreams and visions you had for them could show up as you constantly nitpicking and criticizing your child because you're trying to mold them into the person you envisioned. You're trying to control the person they are when they are already a person. They are already who they're supposed to be. They just need you to keep them safe. Because their little toddler mind doesn't understand safety. I think a parent's role is just 
you have the fully developed adult brain and you are there to keep them safe. But you know they have all their personality traits ready. What can you really (laughs) mold in them if you're being very honest? So our ego uses romantic relationships and parenthood as a way to try to hold the reins because it's so afraid. It's so afraid of losing love, of having betrayal. It's so afraid of your child getting hurt. It's so afraid of your child being teased at school. Your ego is just so terrified. And so it makes you act in these certain ways every day. And it's all out of fear. It's all out of fear. So what could relationships or parenthood feel like if we were rooted in divine trust instead of your ego's fear? So in my opinion, divine trust in a marriage would be something like this. My parent, my my parent, my partner is always doing the best they can. My partner is continuously triggering, triggering my own fears and my childhood wounds for my own healing and growth. Even though in the moment, my ego wants to blame them for making me feel this certain way. But I know my partner is always showing me deeper healing within myself. Always. Other examples is if you had full trust, you wouldn't need to secretly go through their phone. That is done out of fear. Or people white lie. People lie out of fear because they're afraid of conflict or they're afraid of being judged. So people lie to preserve the image of themselves. So if you truly trusted trusted your partner and you trusted life and you trusted God and you trusted the universe, you wouldn't lie. So how would divine trust, what, how does it look like in parenthood? It would look something like this. My child is their own perfect sovereign being with their own divine purpose already set. And my job is just to support them as much as possible and to get out of their way. It's trusting that they are made so perfectly and they are made good. Babies are made good. You don't need to make them good. You just need to get out of the way. They know who they are. They already know who they are. And if, if you're a parent, you know this. Because no matter what you do, your child is their child. They are who they are. They are divinely created. They have a divine purpose. And either you can get on board and support them in that. Or you can just sit and, and make your life a living hell. And, and live your life in fear of, oh my god, my child is, isn't, is not the person I envisioned. There's nothing you can do about that. You can try to mold them. But it, it won't happen. It won't work. Just think about when you were a child. And your parents didn't like aspects of who you were. Your personality. 
and they tried to shut parts of you down or they tried to change you in some way and what that made you feel. Imagine what your childhood could have looked like if your parents just trusted the universe, trusted that you are a perfect, whole, sovereign being already and they just supported you. Anything, your passions, your joys, they just supported you. And they kept you safe because you needed someone to help keep you safe. One good quote I've always remembered is a Dr. Shafali, the conscious parent, author, and doctor. She has a quote in this book that says, when you parent, it's crucial you realize you are not raising a mini-me but a spirit throbbing in its own signature. For this reason, it's important to separate who you are from who each of your children is. Children aren't ours to possess or own in any way. When we know this in the depth of our soul, we tailor our raising of them to their needs rather than molding them to fit our needs. And I would probably add that we don't then mold our children to calm our fears so then how do you change how do you how do you just stop fearing and start trusting well it's not easy because you have an ego and it's supposed to worry and it's supposed to fear but all you can ever do is start witnessing it and being aware of it and being curious so if you're acting a certain way with your partner or if you catch yourself shutting your child down in something they want to do or whatever inquire get curious and see what fear is rooted in it if you if your child is tantruming witness how terrified you are of people's judgments about you or your child just start watching and witnessing the things you talk and what you do, how you act, how you react. And if there's a fear behind it, and, and the only way to do this is if, when, is if you're radically honest with yourself. That's the only way to find the fears. Is if your child hits another child, a lot of times we're so overcome with emotion because we maybe are afraid that people are judging our child is bad or, or a bully but we might be also afraid that, oh my God, what if they become a teenager and they keep hitting kids when, I mean, sure that can happen, but how often does that happen? And so it's, it's this deep rooted fear of, especially if it's a young child and they have this undesirable behavior, we're afraid they're going to continue that behavior. But if you're in trust, you know, it's probably a brain development stage. They're learning they're learning what to do with anger inside their body. It's very natural. The most natural thing is to feel anger in your body and want to get it out. So then you hit something or you break something. That's a very primal, primal response. And obviously it's a parent's job to not shame that primal response because we all have it. But instead show what you can hit. You can hit a pillow. Here, these are the things you can hit when you're angry. But all in all, there is no easy button or easy path to just suddenly being in divine trust that your child will be 
turn out so perfectly because they, you know, they're already made in perfection. They are already who they are. <laughs> it's not an easy button. It's not an easy path. But again, like always, like every podcast episode, I say how to get into greater trust is to first recognize how you are being ruled by fear. You have to start witnessing, being in the present moment, observing. You observe yourself like a fly on the wall. And then once you can observe it and you can witness it and be aware of it, then you can dig deep. Then you can be curious and lean into that curiosity. Stop shaming yourself. That gets you nowhere. Just be curious. Lean into curiosity. Why did I act that way? Journaling this stuff is the, easy, is the easiest way to really decode it all. And it's not easy to decode it, but putting it in a journal. You know, I acted this way earlier in the day. What was that feeling behind that? Why did I act that way? What was my root fear in that moment? And then once you, you know, deconstruct these moments where you weren't proud of how you acted or what you said, once you can go into curiosity and deconstruct that moment and what happened, then you start seeing it play out the next time it happens. And that's how awareness builds. And it takes many months or years. It's not fast. I say this every single time. It's not fast. But reflecting on how you acted or what you said, you know, yesterday or earlier today or last week or last month or last year, reflection is how we gain that awareness is, oh, I acted this way in this situation because of this fear. And then when you tie a bow on that, when that situation or something similar comes up, you have this resonance, this awareness that, oh, here's this fear again. Now I have an option. I have a choice. Now that you're aware, when you become aware, you have a choice. When you are unconscious, you have no choice. Everything is a knee jerk. Everything's a reaction. But when you're aware, you are then at a fork in the road and you can do the knee jerk or you can do a new response. And this is growth. When you do that new response, it's growth and it's amazing. But you will not do that 100% of the time. Do not expect perfection. Do not think you will be perfect. Do not think you will be like that 100% of the time. It's the tiniest little baby steps. Because when you are at a fork in the road and you choose the new behavior, you're actually creating a new neural response. You're creating a new pathway in your brain because the knee-jerk pathway is easy. It is so easy. That's why you can just act so unconsciously because it's a pathway in your brain already set. And then the more times you do it, the more it happens, the more it happens, the more solidified that pathway becomes. But when you're at the fork in the road and you have this awareness of, oh, I'm at this moment, I can do the knee jerk or I can create a new, I could do a new action. I could say a new thing in this moment. That is the sweetness of life. That is growth. That is when you're like, holy moly, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. This is the work and you're doing it. 
And just be easy on yourself. You won't be perfect. Don't expect yourself to be perfect. But if you can do a new behavior or say a new thing, do the new choice, new habit, just, uh, just once in a while, it'll, it will build on that and it will get better and it will get easier with time through practice. 